Good morning, Remnant. How are we doing? Fantastic. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, I, uh, I talk about this a lot um, because in a lot of ways, what's happened to many of us, we can't really explain. So we keep trying to explain it, uh, which I think is kind of funny. Uh, but, but basically, uh, I think we, we get to a point in our lives where things just aren't going the way we thought they would. Um, and we begin to recognize that something's missing, that there's something we've been trying to find. There's something that we've been looking for because deep down inside, we know something's missing, but we didn't know what it was. And yet somehow we knew that what was missing was spiritual. And so we've tried in our lives to find ways to get to God, to find ways to basically restore this, this feeling of not being connected. And we come into a place like this and we think, wow, I'm going to learn all about Jesus. I'm going to learn all about the Bible. I'm going to see if that's what I need. And we come into a place like this and we learn and we, we hear people talk, but, and we think that we're going to connect with God in our heads. And then what happens is the more we learn, the more we study, the more we understand who Jesus is, all of a sudden we realize that our hearts are moving into a relationship. And that this entire thing is not about religion, it's not about church, it's about a relationship between you and the Lord. And so we come here and then what happens is when we finally recognize that and we surrender, we begin to notice that we change. Not that we decided to change, we just become different people. God begins to give us his perspective and we begin to see the world differently. And so we just keep coming back because we know we're being transformed and we know we're not doing it, but we're becoming brand new people. And we come here every week to thank God for the changes he's made and to help us understand more so we can draw our hearts more. And I mentioned that if we recognize God's holiness, everything would be very easy. I mean, if we truly understood the God that has said that we're welcome in his family, it'd be so easy to follow. And we've been in a series over the last five weeks about the feasts of the Lord. And basically, for those that don't know, God had ordained in the Old Testament. He said, basically, look, there's seven days a year that I want you to stop everything you're doing and focus on me. Seven days. He called them feasts or appointed times. Some of these feasts required that you travel to Jerusalem to go to the temple. Others uh, you could celebrate at home. There are seven feasts, four are in the spring, three are in the fall. Now, now you may be going, okay, well, that's interesting. Boy, this is going to be really boring. Well, it turns out that the one thing that's clear about God is he did not want us to miss Jesus. I mean, when you look at the Old Testament from beginning to end, the one thing that's very clear is he did everything possible to make sure that we did not miss Jesus when he came. And these feasts are prophetic. These feasts are pointing to the Messiah to come. And we've been studying them and we've seen how Passover pointed to the crucifixion of Jesus, that he was the Passover lamb. And last week we looked and we studied unleavened bread and we realized that he was the sinless unleavened stored away in a tomb accepted by God. And today we're going to look at the third uh, feast, which is the feast of first fruits. And we're going to talk about that because it's so important that we understand what God wanted us to see. God gave us signs of Jesus. The, the feasts that are going to occur in the fall are going to occur at his second coming. The four feasts in the spring have already occurred at his first coming. And God basically put signs in the heavens. He put signs on earth, signs among people, signs in the heart of people. He, he sent Jesus to give us signs directly from him. He sent the prophets and everybody's screaming the same thing. The Messiah is coming and here's how you know who he is. And so today we've been looking at these feasts. We've been looking at Passover. We've been looking at the sacrifice of unleavened bread. I encourage you to go back. If you're the first week you've seen this, I recommend you go on the Frank Bible Truth YouTube channel or to the Remnant website and look at the other feasts because we're sort of building on this message that God has delivered 
Today we're going to look at the feast that was called First Fruit. It's the feast that foreshadows, points to, and was fulfilled by Jesus at his resurrection. We're in the middle of our study. We're in the third of four spring feasts. Each of these foreshadowed a time in the life of the Messiah. The third spring feast, First Fruits, talks about his resurrection. You see, in AD 33, Jesus was crucified on Passover. He was buried on the day of unleavened bread. We talked about that last week. And he was resurrected on the day of first fruits. And we'll see the celebration that, that God set aside to remember Jesus' resurrection is not the day we call Easter. We're going to get more into that later. Keep your seatbelts on, or you're going to need them. First fruits. First talked about in Leviticus 23. Let me read that to you. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring a sheaf of first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He's talking to the group of Israelites who have been brought out of Egypt by Moses. They've crossed through the desert. He's taken them to the promised land. And he says, look, I'm taking you to a place that has incredible abundance. And when you get to that place, I want you to make sure you give me the very best of what's first. You shall bring the sheaf of first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he will wave the sheaf before the Lord's Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest will wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to God. And the grain offering, it shall be two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma, and a drink offering with it shall be wine, a fourth of a hen. Those are just their measuring. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain parched or fresh until this same day, until you've brought the offering of the Lord your God. It is a statute forever throughout all your generations and all your dwellings. The Feast of First Fruit, celebrated at the uh, first cereal grain harvest in Israel. Remember, these follow the calendar. So they would plant in the spring, they would get a harvest. They would have to get to come to the temple and basically give that first fruit to God. Then they would go home, they would cramp the next harvest, and then we'll see that one presented to God later in the fall. The first crop to show growth was always barley. So the first fruit is about the barley harvest. It was the first fruit offering to the Lord. It was given to God, and the people were making a pledge or promise, and basically here's what they said. I'm going to give you, God, my first. Okay, now, this is important for us to understand. You see, they, they had the barley harvest. Their lives depended on being able to grow crops. They're an agricultural society. They didn't have publics to go to. If things didn't grow, they starved. It's important that you understand that the first fruit, the first offering they give is all that has grown so far. Okay? They take everything and give it to God, not knowing if the next 90% or so is ever coming. They weren't sure the harvest was come. It wasn't unusual for a drought to come or for insects to wipe out an entire harvest. And they didn't just hoard it for themselves in case something happened. They gave it to God to show them that they trusted God with the rest of the harvest. It'll be important later. Taking what they first received giving the very best to God. They were trusting God that, that, that he would provide for them. He would provide their needs. They didn't need to hoard for themselves because they were God's people and he would take care of them. Throughout time, God has tried to uh, seek after the people of Israel. He, he identified them and says, you are my people, I wanna be your God. He entrusted them with the Holy Scriptures and he, he wanted to bless them through others because he had decided, God and his sovereignty, that a Messiah would come from the people of Israel, that, that a Savior would come who would rescue people from their sins, that there would be one who comes later who, who would 
be the Messiah and restore our relationship with God to fill that empty hole that we have. And he wanted to make sure they got it. So he put his entire redemptive plan from beginning to end in the seven feasts. In a sense, the seven feasts are outlines of God's agenda for the world. The Feast of First Fruits. It falls in the time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Remember, we've talked about how they came to Jerusalem for the Passover. The very next day was First Fruits, which was a week of examining themselves. And at the end of that week, now we have another feast called First Fruits. It's a Jewish Sabbath. Um, it falls on the first day after the Sabbath. The first day of unleavened bread is Nisan 15. No work was to be done. We continue on and we begin to understand that unleavened bread starts on Nisan 15 through 21. So first fruits is on Nisan 16. You don't need to know all that. I just want you to get the order. Passover, rep representing Christ's crucifixion as the Lamb of God, followed by unleavened bread, the sunless Jesus in a tomb, and now the resurrection, which is the feast of first fruits. Now, the unleavened bread was a pilgrimage feast. We talked about that last week. They were required to go to Israel, to Jerusalem for the feast. So they were already there. There was a ceremony at the temple. Now, they had a national barley field next to the temple that grew the barley for this particular feast at the temple. It was kept in strict accordance with all rabbinic traditions, which means it was one of the few organic barley fields in Israel at the time. No artificial watering, no fertilization. In the days prior to the feast, the priests would go out and select specific sheaths that were marked as first fruit. Then on the evening of the 15th, the day before, three-man delegation went to the temple. They carried sickles and baskets of these first fruits of barley. They get to the sheaths immediately before sundown. A moment of silence follows, and then they, in unison, ask the onlookers a series of questions. Has the sun set? With this sickle into the basket on the Sabbath. In other words, they're confirming the new day has started, the, the Jewish day starts in the evening after the sun goes down. They repeat it two more times just to make sure that they're on the right day at the right time doing the right feast. They were repeated until two-thirds of a bushel was obtained. The grain's taken to the temple and threshed with rods. So they take the grain and they start beating it with rods. It was parched over an open flame and winnowed in the wind to remove the shaft. So they're trying to purify the grain. Then it was sifted until it's very fine, and that's the offering that they're going to make. On the morning of the 16th, on the day of first fruits, they were presented to the Lord. It was basically five pints of barley mixed with three quarter pints of olive oil and some frankincense. It was the first fruit offering for the people of Israel. No one can touch the harvest until the first fruit portion has been given to the Lord. So let's just make this simple. The priests went out, they got barley, they brought it to the temple, they asked questions to make sure it was an appropriate sacrifice, they beat it with rods until it was only the purest, then they gave that to God on the morning of the day of first fruits. Now, no one was allowed to touch the first fruit offering until it had been offered to the Lord. That's gonna be important in a little bit. Okay, so remember that, that they, they weren't allowed to just have any, only, only the high priest, the priest could touch it and only to present it to the Lord. He waved it before the Lord and he burned a small amount on the altar. The remainder was given to the priests. The actual ritual is outlined in Deuteronomy 26, if you want to read through that. The first fruit offering was a reminder to the Jewish people that God had given them the land and the harvest was his. There's more to come and you can trust him with the best of the first. First fruits consecrated the rest of the harvest to the Lord. Basically, what it meant was if God accepted the first fruits, the offering that they gave, God would accept the rest of the harvest as well. 
That, that if they brought the best of what they had and they presented that to God, that God would also bless what was to come and, in, and ensure that there would be more to come. Now, most importantly, the people were forbidden to use any part of this harvest in any way until the first fruit had been presented to God. If you touched the harvest, if you used it, if you didn't give it to God, it was considered robbery. Now, since the temple no longer exists, the Jewish people typically don't celebrate this feast, not in the same manner. Today, the feast is primarily a marker of time. This day of the feast starts the clicking the clock towards the next one we're going to talk about, which occurs 50 days later that we call Pentecost, and they call the Feast of Weeks. We'll talk about that next week. So for most Jewish people, they're not offering their first fruits on the day of first fruits. They're simply saying from this day, we start counting until the next feast. The Feast of Weeks. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Okay, so in other words, when that offering is offered, you start counting. Count 50 days after the seventh Sabbath, then you will present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. This is called the counting of the Omer. It's 50 days from the Feast of Weeks. Pentecost is the word for 50. We call it Pentecost, and we'll talk about that next week. I believe the most important feast Christ followers should celebrate is this Feast of first fruits. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Key point. And the first key point is that first things really matter to God. First things really matter to God. God doesn't want your leftovers. He doesn't want an afterthought. He doesn't want anything less than the best from you because by giving him your very best, he promises to bring more and to bless the rest. If you bring him an offering that is unworthy, then he doesn't bless what's to come and you may not see more to come. The firstborn of the Israelites, the firstborn of the animals, the first of the crops, they all belong to God. What God's basically saying is, look, I'm gonna give you an abundance. I just want you to remember who it comes from. So when you get your first fruit, your first child, your first whatever, you offer that to me. The firstborn males at one year of age were presented to the priest. I'm sorry, one month of age. A price could be paid and they could be redeemed or they could be given to the priest for service in the temple. Okay, again, the firstborn is God's, not yours. So they would basically take the child at one month and they had a choice. They could present him to the temple where he would grow up and he'd work in the temple and he'd serve God his whole life or the laws, uh, the Jewish laws and scripture allowed for them to make a payment basically allowing someone else to stand in their place in that role, and that person would be the priest, essentially. Yeah, I know we're getting into the weeds a little bit. But Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple when he was one month old. Why? To present him as the first fruit. Luke 2.22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, basically what happens is Jesus is born as a, as a Jewish person, as a Jewish follower. They take him to the temple at one month. They present him to the Lord. He is the first fruit offering. He belongs to the Lord but they could make a sacrifice and allow him to serve God in other places in the community. Still belongs to God, still God's first fruit, but now serving outside of the temple. Now, when you look at this uh, story, it was at this time that Jesus is first in scripture called the Messiah, one month old. Simeon and Anna were the prophetess declared his Messiahship. Basically, he was presented to the temple. They began to speak over him in the spirit and tell people who he was at one month old. It was at that time that we began to learn about 
what God wants to do with first fruit. We learned at Passover that the first child, the first animal was under the curse of death, saved only by the blood of the lamb. All of us spiritually are firstborn of Adam under the curse of death and in need of redemption. Every one of us has been born into a sin nature that's part of our flesh because we come from fallen Adam. We have to be reborn in the spirit to overcome that. Romans 5, 19, for just as one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners so that one by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. In other words, yes, the curse of Adam is on all of us, but thank God the salvation of Jesus is also available to all of us. For in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruit, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. In other words, when Jesus resurrected, he's telling the world, I'm the first fruit of a harvest that's to come. Okay, God has sent me. I am now reborn. I've overcome death. There's a whole harvest of people to come. And what it tells us is that Jesus is our first fruit. He resurrected on the morning of the Feast of First Fruits. The resurrection of Jesus was the guarantee, the promise that there's a harvest of all mankind to come. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep or died. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at those coming who belong to Christ. The feast of first fruits was a shadow that what happened to Jesus would happen to everybody who followed him. That there would be a moment when all of us with Christ are resurrected and victorious over death. He is the first he's offered to God and he's the promise of those to come. In a sense, he's representing us. Now, it may surprise you to learn that on the day Jesus resurrected, he wasn't the only person to resurrect that day. Wow, didn't know that. God wanted to make sure that we understood that others would be following too. Jesus resurrects first. On that very same day, other people resurrected. Jesus, the first fruit. The wave offering consisting of barley sheaths that were being bound together and offered in the temple is being manifest in the life of Jesus. When Jesus offers himself as the first fruit, others were raised from death. Matthew 27, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus is on the cross, dying. When he gives up his spirit, the temple's torn in two, representing that we can access God directly through Jesus. The earth shook, the rocks were split, tombs were opened, okay? And many bodies of the saints, believers, who had fallen asleep were raised and came out of the tomb after his resurrection. He was the first fruit. He resurrects, signifying that others are gonna overcome death as well. And guess what? They're walking around Jerusalem. Coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many, foreshadowing what's going to happen to all of us. Many saints, that means many believers who'd fallen asleep, that means they were dead. They had died physically, but they were still alive spiritually. And their bodies were raised after Christ, the first fruit, was raised. A promise, a seal of something to come. And note that they came out of the tombs only after his resurrection. They were evidence of the harvest to follow the promise of God. Jesus spoke of this future harvest in John 5, 28. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Note that everyone will hear his voice one day. Every person will hear 
his voice one day. Some will recognize that voice as a familiar voice that brings them home. Others will be asking everybody else, who is that and where am I going? Just like in the first fruit, the grain is lifted up. It's separated into the wheat and the chaff. Only those who are pure, who survive, who basically are pure, are the offering to the Lord. The rest is discarded. There will be many people on judgment day who God's going to sadly look at them and say, I... I don't know you. you. You never presented yourself to me. You never made yourself available to me. You never trusted my son. You never put your faith in the blood of the lamb. You're asking for me to pass over and I'm righteous, but I can't because there's no blood over your life. Those who put their trust in Jesus and the blood of the lamb will see death pass over and the promise of the resurrection and Jesus the first fruit is the promise that that will come true in our lives. He provided a guarantee to us on the day of first fruits that those who trust in him will also overcome death. The feasts foretell a story. So as we've said, Passover, the Messiah, the lamb that was slain. Unleavened bread allows us to take a selfie, look at the Bible and become aware of our condition to see the sin in our lives and to see Jesus without sin. Feast of Unleavened Bread is about our separation, our sin separating us from God in death. And now we get to the Feast of First Fruit, which is all about new life, new growth, Jesus resurrected from the death. And First Fruit is the first feast that brings hope. First Fruit is about hope. It's a promise, sealed and secured by God, manifested by Jesus it's called consecration, being set aside for God's work. On the morning of the Feast of first fruits, Jesus has resurrected. He appears to Mary at the, at the tomb, okay? Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposedly him to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. What she's saying is, look, if you're the gardener, he's not where he's supposed to be. You see, he was dead. And now the tomb's empty. He's not there. I'm kind of freaking out. So can you tell me where you took the body? And Jesus tells her, Mary, one word, Mary, a familiar voice. She knew that voice. It was the voice of her Messiah. She turned to him and she said in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Do you know how there are people who they can just say your name and you know who they are? The voice is so familiar because you've been with it and heard it so many times. All he had to say was her name and she knew. Look at what happens though. There's this very interesting interchange that happens and a lot of people say, I don't know why that happened. I'm gonna tell you why. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. In other words, she says, Rabbi, and she runs to him, and he says, stop, don't touch me. And it's not because he's a germaphobic. He just says, don't touch me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. You see, I'm the first fruit offering of mankind, and you can't touch it until it's been offered to God. Get that? Don't touch the first fruit. It's presented to God and only God. Don't touch me. Don't cling to me. Don't hold on to me. I have somewhere I have to go. I've resurrected, but I cannot yet come back in the form you want me to come back in. And he says, but go to my brothers, the disciples, and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. I'm taking the first fruit offering to the temple. I'll be back. Don't touch me. I haven't ascended to the Father yet. You, you don't understand. I'm the first fruit offering. I'm set aside. I'm set apart. 
And just like the priest in the temple offered the first fruit to the Father, Jesus is saying as the high priest, I have to go make atonement with the Father for I'm the first of the harvest to rise from the dead and to never die again. Once the Father accepts the promise, then the harvest can be touched and enjoyed because there will be so much more to come. The barley sheath could not be touched till it was offered to God. Jesus, the human sheath, could not be touched. Go tell the brothers, he said. This is the first time he calls them brothers, by the way. Prior to this, they were disciples. Now he's resurrected, they're brothers. Interesting. They spiritually move from disciples to God's children. They're brothers now. What Jesus is saying that his resurrection, the first fruit, was not just about the forgiveness of sin. It's about a new relationship for those who would follow him. We become his children. It's not just that we were separated from God and we trusted Jesus and he forgave our sins and we're sinful people who are getting a bypass of what we deserve. He says, no, no, you don't understand. You've been spiritually reborn into God's family. You're a brother now. You're a sister now. You're part of God's family. You're his children. And he says, I'm ascending to the Father. My first fruit is going to be waved in front of the Father, the promising guarantee of the harvest. And after he comes back, after the harvest has been accepted, now he can be touched. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Once he's presented to the Father, he's like, look, touch me, do whatever you gotta do. I'm who I said I was. You wanna feel where they pierce me? It's right here. You wanna see my hands? It's right here. What do you need? I'll provide it for you because I am the first fruit. This offering sanctified the whole harvest. You and I can know that we have eternal life because Jesus' resurrection proves that God accepted his sacrifice for his sins and everybody who believes will also reap from the harvest. The Hebrew word of acceptance carries the emotion of being pleased or delighted. It's not just like God's like, okay, come on, come on. You don't deserve it, but come on. That is not how this works. He's running at you with open arms. I've been waiting for you my entire, well, not my entire life. I've waited for you a long time, your entire life, for you to come to me and, and to offer yourself. I'm so delighted that you've come. See, because we think, a lot of people think that God is just waiting to punish us. That he's up there just ready to pound us. And he's like, nothing but love. Come. I've already punished Jesus. I don't have much punishment left. None. Just Come. Now notice that it's only through faith that Jesus can take our place. The promised future is the harvest to come. In fact, God gave us proof of our place in that harvest. Romans 8, 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now notice we have the first fruits of the Spirit not we're going to get the first fruits of the Spirit. We are the first fruit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as son, the redemptions of our bodies. In other words, we're on earth. We know we're redeemed. We know that we've been spiritually reborn. We know that there were a new person, but, but we are going to be redeemed when Jesus returns and we're adopted as children of God. Jesus says, look, I want to make sure that you understand. The promise is so secure, I'm going to send a stamp of approval on your life so you'll know without a doubt that you are in the promise. And the acceptance of the first fruit offering is the Holy Spirit. God says, look, it's not enough that I just tell you what we're to do. I'm not just going to tell you um, how this is going to work. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to stamp an approval on, uh, on my promise. And so the next feast is going to, hey, Tam, can we? Um, 
I know people are tired, but I'm having a hard time thinking. Um, the, uh, all right, so the question becomes, what God's going to say is, look, I'm going to be the first fruit. And I'm going to promise that you will be the harvest to come. And the way I'm going to seal that promise with you, the way you can know for sure, the way you can never doubt, is I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And my Holy Spirit, when my Holy Spirit's in your life, when you feel his presence, when you know he's there, you know you're a child of God. You've been spiritually reborn. Guess what the next feast is? Pentecost. What happens at Pentecost? The fall of the Holy Spirit. We'll keep that in mind. The next great promise after first fruit is the Holy Spirit. It's to come at an appointed time, seven weeks, seven perfect sevens. He'll descend and fall on Pentecost. So we see the feast. We see how they foreshadow Jesus's life. How do we apply this to our lives? Why does this matter to us? I always tell people, if you come here and learn, that's okay. You come here and change, that's incredible. The first way we can apply this is to actually celebrate the Feast of First Fruit. To take an appointed day set by God, a holy day, and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Now you may be thinking, well, we do that at Easter, don't we? Yeah, but it's complicated. I hear people say all the time, the day the Jews call First Fruits, we call Easter. It's sometimes true, and sometimes it's not. God appointed a special day to celebrate Jesus' resurrection, the 16th day of Nisan, based on the Jewish calendar. It never changes, year to year. Passover, crucifixion on Nisan 14, unleavened bread, Nisan 15, burial, first fruits, Nisan 16 is resurrection day. Jewish people, every month, every year, same day of the month, over and over and over. Never changes. Three appointed times by God in order. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, all occurring within about eight days. It's like every time. Now, the day we decide to choose to celebrate Easter is not that day many years. It has more to do with pagan holidays and the dating of those. As Christianity spread into pagan lands, they were already celebrating a spring fertility holiday. Holiday was associated with the name Easter and was at the vernal equinox. Early Christians took over that celebration and decided to make it about Christ's resurrection for two reasons. One, to stop the pagan holiday and overwhelm it. And second, this was still in a time when there's still a relatively strong anti-Semitism in the Christian church. The Jews had killed Jesus. They didn't want to celebrate his resurrection on the same day. So then 325, when they did the, um, um, the bringing the scriptures into accordance with, with one solid book, at the same time, they decided when they would be celebrating Easter. Now, why is there a mismatch? Well, Basically, our calendars aren't the same. The Jewish calendar and, the, and the, our calendar are totally different. Both holidays are supposed to fall somewhere near the full moon in the spring. Passover always begins on the 15th day of the Hebrew month, and it's always a full moon because they count the days based on the moon. For a time, early Christians used the Jewish calendar as a reference, but at the first council of Nicaea in 325 AD, they decided to set their own date for Easter independent of the Jewish people. Today, most Christian communities celebrate Easter on the first Sunday after the first full moon, March 21st. After March 21st. Sometimes this falls on the Jewish days. Other times it doesn't. That arises the problem. A lunar year is not the same as a solar year. In fact, nothing is exactly the length of a solar year or a lunar year because we have to correct for them all the time. So before I go too far, you're sitting here going, well then, why do we celebrate Easter on Easter? Let me remind you of Paul's words. One person esteems one day as better than another, while one esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. 
I think God is far more concerned that we celebrate first fruits, the resurrection of Christ, than what day it actually falls upon. Okay, some people believe we should be celebrating the Feast of First Fruits according to the Jewish calendar. Others follow what's more Western. Now, I'll tell you why our church follows the Western one. Okay? I also tend to celebrate first fruit when it falls on the Jewish calendar. I think the Jewish holidays are important. But we're also here to reach people who don't yet know any of this. And they come to church on Easter. Okay, it's the lily poinsettia crowd. They come at Easter and Christmas. And they're going to come. And our goal is to try to reach as many people as possible. And so rather than tell them some story about how it's not that day and they don't, they'll be lost, they won't know. So we recognize that there is a day that is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's the day that the Jewish people and many of us celebrate the resurrection. There are other people who celebrate on Easter. I'm glad they're celebrating. That's what Paul's trying to tell us. Some years Easter comes early, some it comes late, some it comes uh, a month before Passover, putting the celebration of his resurrection before the sacrifice on the cross, which makes it kind of difficult. Easter's been on, in the last few years, March 27th, April 1st, April 8th, April 12th, April 21st. This year they fall together. Now you can celebrate Easter and the Feast of Unleavened Bread however you want. As I said, some are uncomfortable doing it one way or the other. Here's the risk and why I think it's important to at least recognize unleavened bread as a separate holiday. We tend to think that Easter is all about the cross, and it's not. Easter is about the resurrection. Let me just tell you, hundreds of wannabe messiahs have been crucified. Hundreds. I'm Messiah, you're crucified. Okay. The cross was a big deal, but it wasn't the deal. What made it the deal was that three days later, he woke up out of a tomb and said, I've resurrected and overcome death for your sins. That's what made it a big deal. But if you look at most people who think Easter, they think cross. Okay. By celebrating unleavened bread, you focus on the resurrection which is the point of the cross. Paul instructs us not to esteem one day higher than the other, but just to make sure that we're celebrating, and that's typically what we do. Notice that it says each one should be convinced in their own mind. If you observe or abstain, you decide, but do it in honor of the Lord. Quit worrying about what everybody else is doing. You focus on you. It's what Jesus told the disciples. He told Peter how he would be crucified. And John looks over and goes, well, what about me? And he goes, you just do what I tell you to do. Don't worry about him. Okay. Pray about it. Celebrate what you want to celebrate. Just make sure you're celebrating the resurrection, the first fruit offering to God. So the lesson, the first lesson today is that first fruits teach us that we are secure in our salvation. The whole point of this entire thing was for us to recognize that our salvation is secure, it's sealed by the Father, it's sealed by Jesus, and it's promised by the Holy Spirit. Just like the Israelites knew when God had accepted the first fruit offering that the rest of the harvest was guaranteed to come, we too know that our future resurrection over death is secure and we can thus change everything about the way we live. If we truly embrace the holiness of God and the awareness of who we really are and where we're really headed, it would change everything about how you're living your life right now. No matter the seasons of drought or the attacks on your life or what you have going through or how bad life seems, you are sealed for the harvest. You're a new creation, a spiritual being, born again, a child of God, in the family of God, headed to the heaven of God, the true promised land, You've already overcome death. It has no sting. You can live bulletproof. You're secure. You're eternal. That should change everything about the way you look at life, what you hold on to on this planet, what you give to God, how you decide to spend your time. 
It's important to understand that first fruit is to teach us that our salvation is good and done. It's secure in Christ. Second lesson, first things really matter to God. First things really matter to God. He deserves the first of everything you have. We should not touch any area of our lives if we haven't already offered it to the Lord. This pattern is over and over and over in Scripture. God says, if you give me the first of everything, I'll bless the rest. Today, our harvest we often think of as financial. God tells us, bring the first fruit of everything you earn. Bring it to the local church. Bring it to any, some ministry. Bring it, and I'll send it to God. We can debate how much. The scriptures seem to support at least a tenth. So let's just use a tenth and let's not go nuts on this. Okay? What he's saying is, I want you to take some portion of your first fruit before the rest of it comes in. I don't want your afterthought. I don't want your leftovers. I want your first fruit. Give me the first of everything you have. I'll make sure the rest comes and I'll bless the rest. We've been blessed as a church. We've always given away a significant portion of what comes into this place. That's why God has blessed us with the rest. We don't talk much about money here at Remnant, if you haven't noticed. There's a happy bucket. I'm not going to beat you up to give money to God. I shouldn't have to. If you're a follower of Jesus, your first fruit goes to God. You want him to bless everything else in your life? Give him the first of everything. Watch what happens. He's going to move the hearts of our people to give what they're to give. I don't have to do that. I don't have to manipulate you. I don't stand in front of you. I don't have to pass an offering plate. I don't have to. Because your giving is between you and God. Now, God has given what is first does not just relate to our money. God taught us in Leviticus, he wants the first of everything. Let's hit another topic. God not only wants the first of your financial resources, he wants the very best of your time. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest a holy convocation, an appointed time with me. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. What he's teaching here is you need to set aside time every week to be with me, to focus on me, to understand what's going on in your life, to review what happened during the week, to look at what's coming in the future week. You need to spend a day where you're not doing, 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 but you're being. I'm gonna call it the Sabbath. It's a holy convocation. It is a meeting with me, God says. Not a day to work around the house, not a day to go to Home Depot, not a day to run errands. We're instructed to take a day each week and consecrate it to God and to spend the entire day focusing on him, focusing on our family, reading scriptures, praying, reflecting over the week. And you say, well, how in the world am I gonna get everything done? I mean, if I take, oh my, you don't understand. How am I going to get everything done? If you give him the first, he blesses the rest. You'd be amazed. People ask me all the time, how can you be a doctor and a pastor and find time to do anything? I give him the first. He takes care of my calendar. He takes care of everything. I give him what's first. I do what he asked me to do, and he somehow takes care of it all. I don't know. Happens. I work really hard during the six days. I try to give God the seventh day. He blesses the rest. Same thing happens when we're alone with God on our knees and in the word. When we set aside time each day to meet with God, to make him our first priority when we wake up, and yes, you may have to wake up early to do this, which I'm horrible at, but that's what Jesus did. Look at, look at this interesting passage, Mark 1.35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place and there he prayed. Jesus always took time out of his ministry to be alone with the Father. And when his days got really busy, when everybody seemed to overwhelm him, he didn't put in extra hours. Let me repeat that. When everything seemed to overwhelm him, when he got super busy, he didn't put in extra hours. He didn't work overtime. Let's look at what he does. 
But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Pay attention to that. The room is full of people begging to be healed. There's work to be done. How is it ever going to get done? Oh my Lord, I better work extra hours. I better do whatever. Where'd Jesus go? Oh, he went to go pray. Why? Because he knew where the work gets done. Great crowds in desperate need. Lots of Jesus' work to be done, but he withdraws to a desolate place and prays. Why? Because he knows that whatever happens to that group of people is going to come from the Father. It's going to come from God. We better talk to God about what we're doing. First fruit reminds us that when we get overwhelmed and super busy, we need to stop what we're doing and give God our first fruit. We need to spend time in desolate places praying. I encourage everybody to get involved in some kind of mission somewhere to either go on a mission trip or to serve others here at home, serve in the cafe, serve your next door neighbor. Get up busy giving God your time to serve somebody other than yourself. Take some of your free time, offer it to God. Take some of your resources, offer them to God. Take the first fruit of your personal time, offer it to God. Take the Sabbath every week, offer it to God. Why is this so important? Why would anybody do this? Because when you offer God, the first of everything you have, he blesses the rest. I've never met anybody who regretted giving God their first best time through serving other people. Third lesson, we need to remember that we are first fruits too. We're the foreshadowing of the harvest to come of humans who don't yet know Jesus. We're the first fruits. There are millions of people, I hope, who are going to come to Jesus Christ in the future. They're looking at us as evidence of the first fruit harvest, just like we looked at Jesus. We're first fruits. James 1.18, of his own will be brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We are evidence of the harvest for other people. Just like they see Jesus changed, resurrected, full of life, a spiritual being, others see us changed, resurrected, full of life, full of the Holy Spirit. We present ourselves, in a sense, as a living wave offering. I'm the first fruit. I'm a first fruit. Come, join Jesus. He can do it for you too. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is about our spiritual burial with Christ. Separated from the sins, unleavened bread coming out of the tomb is about putting away the old self, our old way of desiring the things that we desire. But first fruits is about our identification and resurrection with Christ, the promise of what's to come. We're saved from our old life, our old self. We become a new person, a new spiritual person. Putting off the old man is not enough. We have to put on the new man. We offer ourselves to the Lord, and in a way, we become a wave offering. As you separate from the world's leaven, you rise in Christ. As your self disappears, your new self emerges. Your fear of death begins to disappear. The presence of the Holy Spirit empowers you. You live your life growing that fruit that we talked about. You live your life because the way you live it becomes evidence to others. There's an entire world of people who need to know Jesus that are watching you. They're watching me to see if it's real. I talked to somebody the other day that told me that they, what a certain Christian had done. I said, they're not following Jesus. They're just not. Sorry, but they're not. They can say they are. They can do it. They're not. Your life, my life is being waved in front of other people every single day. And they're looking to see if we are the first fruit harvest, if we're the real deal or not. Because maybe, just maybe, there's a place for them in that harvest as well. You become a first fruit offering by dying to yourself, serving other people, living life all in. 
not holding on to anything except Jesus, not needing anything but Jesus, you become, as Paul says, a living sacrifice. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When you and I live out Jesus unabandoned in the world, other people see us as a first fruit harvest and we're presenting ourselves as a worship harvest to God. It's a spiritual worship moment. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, the world's gonna tell you all kinds of lies, all kinds of things. Hold on to God's book as true and renew your mind with it. First fruit is all about presenting yourself, everything you have, your time, your talent, your money, your resources, your dreams, your aspirations, your desires, your job, your relationships, your family, your home, your possessions, your thoughts, your attitudes, your heart to the Father for his purposes. God, is this what you want me to do? If you don't want it, I don't want it. Is she the woman I'm to marry? If the answer is no, if that's not your choice, God, I don't want it. If this job is for me, God, and that's what you want, I want it. If it's not, close the door. I don't care how much money they pay me. If it's not of you, I don't want to do it. If this relocation, God, is not from you, shut it down. I don't want to do it. I want to do what you want. We're going to reflect in a few moments, and I want you to ask God, what first fruit in your life are you holding on to? What is it that you've received that you're the first fruit of? Is it your time? You holding on to that? Holding on to your resources? What are you hoarding from God? Are there any firsts in your life that you've touched, that you've used for yourself before offering them to God? Have you confessed that sin? What do you need to trust him with? Why do you not trust him with the first of everything in your life? As we close today, we're gonna to take communion. Now you remember last week I said we're gonna take communion today because we're gonna spend the week prior, the week of unleavened bread, examining ourselves for sin, examining ourselves for things we've hidden from God. And then we can come to this altar with pure hearts and take communion. Today, I want us to remember as we take communion that not only have we spent time looking over our lives, asking God to reveal any leaven and confessing that sin, but now we're also coming forward saying, God, I get it, I'm a first fruit. People are looking at me to see how I spend my time, my money, my resources. And God, I think this area of my life I've not yet fully turned over to you. And that may be why that's the area of my life that's not really blessed. So God, I gotta trust you with that. I gotta trust you that if I give you what's first, you'll bless the rest and provide what I need. So as we take communion today, I want you to meditate on this verse. If you could truly embrace this verse, this life becomes really easy. Seek first the kingdom. Your first fruit, seek the kingdom. Your life, your time, your resources, your money, everything about you, what can I give to God? How can I give it to him today? How does he want to use the talents he's given me? How does he want me to use the resources he's given me? What is it he wants me to do? You see, because I'm not here living for me. I'm here living for him. And if I'm living for him, the entire world will see that I'm part of the first fruit harvest. And Maybe, just maybe, they'll believe in this Messiah that I love. So on the night before Jesus was crucified, he, he took... The bread, the afikoman we talked about, the middle matzah, the part that represents him. And he said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup of redemption, the third cup we talked about. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Every time we do this, we remind ourselves that he's to come, that there's a future promise, that we're first fruit, but the harvest is to come. So as we take communion, I really want us to examine ourselves. Think about the harvest that's to come. Think about the role that you play when you walk out of this room and people are looking to see if you're the real deal or not. So let's spend some time with God. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you came here and you died for us. You went to the cross. You paid the price. You did it on the day of 
Passover, you were in the tomb for unleavened bread, and God, you resurrected on first fruits. Next week, we'll learn how 50 days later you sent the promised spirit. But for right now, would you just help us to examine our lives, to look over our lives, to look at the first fruit of our life and decide whether it's really being offered to you and whether it's our very best. Some of us are giving you time, God, but honestly, it's leftover time. Some of you are giving resources, but honestly, they're resources you could do without. They're leftover. God, help us to give our very best, the very first fruit, the best time of the day, the best resources that we have, the best of our attention, the best of our focus, the best of our purpose. Open our hearts and move us towards you, God, as we take communion. And we ask it all in Jesus' name.